Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Double DM Podcast. I am your host Emil, I am joined by my co-host Niels today. This episode 99, the last episode before the 100th episode, is gonna feature a guest, Alec Azam, a pro GM content creator in general just awesome human being who we will be talking to about pro GMing and content creation about and how that works how it is to run 15 games a week how does prepping work how does starting as a pro GM work and stuff like that but first we are here to recap our weeks and what happened for us Nils what did happen how are you doing today I'm doing way better today than yesterday because um, the last two days I had a fever that didn't want to go away. But today it's gone, finally. I just, the last two days I just laid in bed all day and did nothing really. So my back hurts like hell, but at least I don't have a fever anymore. So that's good. Yay. And that's the reason why my, our holiday one shot fell through because Unlucky. I got sick. So just laying around, watching movies, playing some video games, sucking over why, uh, that I didn't get to play D&D this week. That, yeah. That, Do you know that? alone that you didn't get to play this week hmm. i mean i think people can hear it i don't know how, how good my voice actually sounds because i have covid yeah i've been tested positive on thursday i got the lab test results mm -hmm. but i am positive since tuesday and the symptoms started on sunday so I am not infectious anymore. Very good. My infection rating, whatever you want to call it, is over the mark for infectious. So I am good. Very nice. But yeah, obviously isolating yeah. over at least the five-day mark since getting positive on Tuesday. But 10 would probably be the time I do. Or depending on how good I'm feeling. Right in Germany, if you get COVID, you have to at least do five days. That's the minimum you have to do. Ten is the one you actually have to do. But you're allowed to do less than ten if you're asymptomatic for at least 48 hours. Mm -hmm. And have a negative test result. Yeah. Then you're allowed to end your isolation before ten days are over. But that rule only goes after five days. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's say that let's say it this way. I had COVID twice now. Mm -hmm. Once in December 2020 and now in December 2022. I had oh, COVID, COVID and COVID too. <laughs> 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 and the thing is, that first time I had nothing, no symptoms at all. Mm -hmm. COVID is a motherfucker now. The thing is, right? The first time I had COVID, I knew I had it because I felt that I'm sick, but I had I didn't have to cough. I had no uh, problem with my throat. I had um no runny nose, nothing. Mm -hmm. When looking at a list of symptoms, this time I dodged, I think, one of the 10 symptoms that are common. Oh, damn. And to say this, I'm a pretty resilient person. COVID is no fucking joke. It's fucking disgusting, this yeah. thing is. And really, do your best to avoid this shit. Wear a mask at all times. Go out the least amount possible and err on the side of safety. Yeah. That's all I will say about this. But regarding the um, COVID is no fucking joke, the time I got it, this was in March this year. I didn't really have any symptoms symptoms except a runny nose as well but what came to mind after the fact that after i was tested uh, negative for three straight days and with uh, being asymptomatic more than 48 hours i just realized that my ability to think critically you could say was a bit hindered some mm -hmm. some tasks that i usually could oh, do in yeah. like five to ten minutes took 20 to 50 oh, yeah. uh, to 30 minutes oh yeah but during the time i didn't realize it but just thinking back it's just it's just something that you're not thinking about because obviously your brain is not thinking straight my brain is so fucking slow actually yeah i think the way i would describe it is when i have i had this i had the shit now and it's like a barrier has been broken down in my brain that basically kept me from doing dumb shit i don't have to do because i went to the kitchen got myself some tea and what did i decide to do while i was waiting for my tea to steep i don't know Enlighten i decided me. to dance oh yeah that, oh yeah why okay. the fuck did i do that i i literally cannot tell you the thinking process because i think there was no thinking process yeah counter question just, why the fuck not i wanted to go to the toilet okay <laughs> good point i had to pee yeah and I, I let i let my intrusive thoughts win and i think they are just stronger since I am weakened. Yeah, makes sense. But other other than just sick news, me and my friends or a couple of my friends got back into Warhammer 40k a bit over the last couple of weeks, painted some miniatures again and are basically some miniatures away building and or painting for some to play again. And I'm excited because I have played this game in, I think, three years, three or four years. And I just discovered all my old models 
in my cellar and yeah now it's just all over my living room table because why not right just painting station and models and unfinished painted not finished painted models everything's just standing around here but yeah is there a reason why you got back into it now not really other than me and my friends talking about 40k constantly because we really enjoy the lore hearing or reading books about the lore itself the horus heresy for example is amazing an amazing series but yeah then we just thought hey we all have some models right why not play again and now it's there then i looked at some models on the website that i might get in the future and i discovered some models that will, would be an amazing model for an D &D, for a dnd villain or a ttrpg villain in general just the demons the the big ones are mm, amazing amazing but yeah that, that has been my last couple of weeks yeah my week has been nothing but covid so no ttrpg sessions and i think it was my it would my last session of the year is now quite some time out it's last week thursday was probably my last session of the year so uh i have nothing else to talk about the episode is already a little bit longer than usual so why not go ahead and after our mid-roll meet alakazam the pro dungeon master that runs 12 games a week and let's talk to him about how he does that Hey, dear listener, we arrived at this episode's mid-roll. I don't want to keep you too long in this break from the usual program, but podcasting overlords demand that I ask you to rate and review our show to help us expand our reach and get new listeners. But also with more reviews and ratings comes the benefit of us getting a better feel for what you like and dislike about the show, allowing us to improve our show to the next level just for you guys. And hey, if you really like the show, then recommend us to your friends so we can share our content with them and help them with whatever dungeon master dilemma or player problems they are having right now. I know you hear this all of the time, but really doing so helps shows like ours and any other podcaster, especially indie podcasters, out immensely in creating the best content possible. So again, rate, review, tell a friend or whatever works for you. If you are feeling super generous today, you can check out our Ko-Fi and donate a few bucks towards upgrading the show with new microphones, editing software and studio surroundings. No pressure at all though, this is just if you feel like you want to help out. Lastly, I also want to tell you guys about our social media channels and that you can follow us on especially Twitter or Instagram to stay up to date with the show and get a whole slew of other content like memes, tips and general shit posts about TTRPGs and the TTRPG industry industry or community. Thank you guys so much for your constant support of our show and we hope we can continue creating amazing content for you guys well into the future. Oh, one last thing. If you have a TTRPG product you want to advertise on our show, contact us about affordable ad space on Double DM episodes and we also have promo swap spaces available for other podcasters and shows. And with that, right back to the show. And with that, we are back from our break. With us now is our guest, Alec. But don't let me hold you up to introducing yourself. Please, go ahead. Who are you? How did you get into TTRPGs? All that good stuff. Well, uh, I'm Alakazam. I'm a pro DM. I'm a purveyor of all things homebrew. This is actually super exciting. I actually professionally run D&D and a few other systems as well for people. And I create a ton of homebrew stuff that I can then like sell online. I stream occasionally, but I got into TTRPGs because firstly um you know i had a very imaginative person had nothing better to do with my time you know why not try it but i remember specifically seeing the third edition books and i was like oh this is like a cool game and my father was like yeah i'm not gonna play that with you because i know if you try D, you'll become obsessed it'll be your whole life and i was like oh okay and then i like tried it again as as an adult and i was like wow he was right uh, <laughs> but it has become my whole life. It's what I do 90 hours a week. So I'm going to just go right for it. 90 hours a week of TTRPG, of D&D. How did that come to be? Well, 
I had a weekly game that I was doing a few years ago, and it was a super fun campaign. We, you know, we went from level one all the way to level 20. You know, everyone really loved, you know, the all the great characters they had built. And, and it was just like really, really fun. And I, I had when I would have a day off and my wife was at work or doing something or it's like, oh, let me go to a comic book shop or a game shop. They would have like, oh, you can sit down at a table and people can, you know, buy you lunch or like give you, you know, five, 10 bucks and, and run a game for them. I was like, oh, why not? And I tried it a couple times and it was fun. But then, of course, like so many other people, when the lockdown started in 2020, it's like I had been laid off from my job. I had nothing to do. I was like, oh, man, I am just killing myself trying to figure out how to make some money. And I had my brother-in-law was like, well, I know you're really stressed out every day. He's like, would you run a weekly game, not just for your friends, but also for my friends? And I was like, all right, you know, whatever. And I started just doing then two games a week. Again, still not paid yet really for this. But at the end of that year, campaign was already more than half done. We were like level 10 already. And I was like, I, I got to make some money. And they all basically said, you know, we love playing with you and you are really good at this. You, you've you like said you've made some money before running games. We'll pay you. And I was like, huh, what? And I'm like crying. And it was just this big emotional moment for me to realize that that was something I could do. Firstly, so I could pay my bills, but also... Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I didn't realize you could actually like do that as a job. And I like did some research. I tried to find a good price point and started advertising myself online. I went from two games a week to five to ten. And I've had for the past two years a a consistent like minimum of twelve, usually closer to fifteen games a week. Um, so it's it's just spiraled into that. I've had a couple times where I was like as high as seventeen or eighteen games, but generally twelve to fifteen games a week for two years now that's a lot (laughs) this is wow yeah yeah i i definitely and i hear even from other dms and especially even other pro dms are like no one can tabletop at this speed and i'm like i don't know i just i have nothing else i'm doing i'm like why not and I hmm. add on to that, like all the homebrew I write, the when I stream and like the other prep and stuff I do, like writing out other things. I, I don't know. I just I enjoy doing it. And uh, it's better than me literally sitting at home staring at the wall. So why not make money hmm. doing something I love? Yeah. And, uh, for re- <laughs> Regarding the prep that you just mentioned, I, I have a question for that. Did the prepping ways change since you ch- started doing more sessions every week and if so, in what ways compared to your own home games before? It changes vastly. Like when I when I was just running home games for my friends, you know, session prep could take all sorts of different forms from like, oh, let me spend hours like carefully moving, you know, like little terrain I have at home on the table and doing this or let me think of these like super delicate, you know, intense encounters and do this and that. Or it could even be like, oh, five minutes before my friends get here. I'm like, oh, what are we doing today? Uh, You fight some goblins, you know, like it's just doesn't because you're with your friends and you're just having fun. This is now that it's my job, I have to take it much more seriously. So I dedicate like certain blocks of time. And it also changes in the sense that I, I offer like actual published modules and I do homebrew games. If it's a published module, I've run Waterdeep Dragon Heist eight times. I've done Curse of Strahd four times. I've done Rhyme of the Frostmaiden four times. Like I can run those games in my sleep. I don't have to prep. Ten minutes before the game starts, I look over my notes, see where the party's at. I, which I should say, my notes, I mean, like the virtual tabletop I'm using, I like check to see where they're at. (laughs) I don't write anything down, which is another thing that stuns people. I don't write any notes for myself. Um, I just keep it all up in my noodle. (laughs) You know, once I, once I like kind of have that, like a module, it's almost no prep and I just go in and, and jump in and have a good time. If it's a homebrew game, that could be minimum an hour each game to make sure that the party's ready but i have to be consistent with my prep i have to do it because these aren't just my friends like all my players you know basically we become very friendly but these are paying customers here to have a good time so i have to take it very very seriously and that's something that i can't just joke around and be like oh today you're just doing something stupid and random because you know whatever it's like even on the days where it's a little lower stakes the party's just going through something kind of you know random things and like just kind of like traveling or something it still has to be taken very seriously to make sure mm-hmm. that they're having a good time from the second they start playing till we're wrapping up the goal. 
And one question. Do you still have home games, private games with friends and family? I occasionally do. I don't have that weekly game anymore. Okay. Um, now, that is more circumstance of like the lockdown made it difficult mm -hmm. to, you know, to play in person. We we actually had we had we had gotten to like the final boss, if you will, like everyone was mm -hmm. level 19. They were about to go into level 20. Um we they knew they had to go and fight this big archdevil that was the big bad of the campaign and then it that was march of 2020 mm. so we spent like a couple of months where we're like well we don't want to just do the final battle like online that seems weird so we we did some online one shots where I got to try some different stuff. And then like we met in person for that final game. We did another at home game once we were all more comfortable being around each other. Mm -hmm. But then it's like two of the players had a kid. One of the other players was like, oh, my schedule is a little different now because I have a new job. So that that mm -hmm. became more a victim of like as every game eventually does scheduling mm -hmm. becomes an issue. But now I'm like, yeah, I run a lot of games. It's hard for me to clear out an extra block of time for my friends <laughs> yeah. to come over yeah <laughs> but yes we we do still like um if it's someone's mm -hmm. birthday they inevitably are like oh can you run the game for me and i'm like sure or <laughs> i've had a, a few friends that we've transitioned exclusively online but we still play mm -hmm. every week okay because then i have a question right you said that your uh, pro gm games are obviously more seriously you have paying customers you want them to have a good time because that's what they pay for in what ways in the game for example or in your running really does that manifest right you said in the prepping the way you you try to get these customers or the people their enjoyment basically how how does that all manifest and in, in especially what is the difference between home games and and pro gm games i find for my home games it was it's like i said it's a more laid-back atmosphere i can kind of go and you know, I've, I've literally like called a mulligan while we were playing where we're like going and I was like, you know what? I don't like this encounter. Let's just wrap it up or like skip to this to do the, like, or I was like, you know, my friends would come over and I'm like, Hey, can we just hang out today? I don't feel like doing nothing as a pro gym. It's a lot harder to like call out because mm. people set aside blocks of time to do this. And it, it doesn't occasionally happen, but I have to be much more serious about the scheduling part of it. And there's also the aspect in, in the game itself of um, if I just run like a, for instance, a module straight out of the book that can get a little boring for some players, especially mm. really experienced players. So they want more attention to detail. Like if they put a backstory for the character, they want that really worked into the story. If they, you know, if they come here and they're like, well, I want big, interesting set piece encounters. I want like custom tokens for the virtual tabletop. You know, I have where I will do, I include my homebrew. I include animated tokens like i have background music while we're playing like all the little bells and whistles that you know aren't necessary to make a game fun but they they do add more mm -hmm. to the game itself and i think that if if i'm paying for something i want my money's worth yeah uh, you know i really want to feel like oh man this is this is worth more than me just sitting with my friends and just playing a casual game mm -hmm. like i i, I equate it to if i'm gonna go and just hang out with my friends that's one thing but if i'm gonna go like see a big budget movie and I'm paying for a movie ticket, I want to see something that's worth my time. I have another uh, quick question. Did the um, view on the hobby itself change since you started pro GMing? Not just on the preparation phase or how you run it, but on the hobby itself? I definitely. Because when I when I would just like play a home game, I'm like, you know, you, you see now I have to track all the news of what Wizards of the Coast is doing. And not just like D&D. &D. Like I said, I, I run, you know, Cyberpunk, Lancer, Blades in the Dark, you know, Thirsty Sword Lesbians. Like I run all these different games. You know, I recently just have friends who want to do like uh, the more board games. Mm. I have to track all this like TTRPG news because it's part of my job now. You know, it's like if I see that, you know, for the one D&D stuff, I have to look at every playtest the day it comes out, every book that comes out. Like if my friends like are like, oh, I heard that this Radiant Citadel book is coming out. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of cool. But it's like as a pro DM, I'm like, I have to pick up that book. I have to be able to run it essentially the day it comes out. Um, I know when Wild Beyond the Witchlight came out, it came out on a Tuesday. I started running the first session of one that week's Friday. So like I had just, you know, a couple of days to run it. So I had to read the whole thing. And then there's also I there is 
whether people want to admit it or not, there are like mm-hmm. political aspects to D and D. You know, we hear all about people being like, "Oh, you know, the social justice." This I have to follow every bit of news that comes out around TTRPGs and be wary of that and how how players might react to it because that's inevitably going to be part of it. The biggest change that I made though is mm-hmm. I have to pick up every book and I have to be ready to run any system and run any kind of game at any time. Mm-hmm. So I, I can't just be like my friends are like, "Oh, I want to do." you know, this one, I'm like, nah, I haven't picked it up yet. So we're not going to do that. Mm, Yeah, I I can see that you really have to be aware of everything happening because every news is going to change landscape. You're required to know to, when this is your job, you obviously need to know what what is happening to adjust yeah it's yeah. i know when when Spelljammer came out mm. almost all of my players were like so when are we going to get a spell jammer okay <laughs> like <laughs> you know i that's it's hard to call that a setting it's really more a style yeah. of, of campaign mm-hmm. but like i love Spelljammer stuff from earlier editions so i was like really excited for the book but it's like man give me a week to read it god but <laughs> i i have to be ready so like i said it, i have to pre-order every book is the second it's available i have to like read through the whole thing as fast as possible and be ready mm. to go because i'll have players asking me questions the day a book comes out or the day after a book comes out maybe a little bit of an ignorant question um maybe naive that sounds very stressful <laughs> is that the case <laughs> yes and no i mean it does become a habit like i said i have other even pro dm friends i have mm. people who are creators in the space i have people who work you know for me crazy schedules with like really intense stressful jobs who like look at me and they're like how do you handle this i'm like i don't know i have severe anxiety and depression i've been handling stress my whole life you know but it's just there are bits that are stressful but at the same time you know i went to a nice restaurant with my wife to celebrate when my first like book of 100 homebrew things came out a few months ago Mm. and we're in this like you know i'm wearing a suit and they have like someone playing harp because it was like a very nice restaurant and i was like these people don't know that we're here because i talk about dragons all day you know (laughs) it's it's really like it's a silly fun job so even when there are days I'm like, oh, this is, I'm doing so many things. I'm so exhausted. Like, I'm like, okay, so you go into the room and there's four goblins. Like, it's really, once I get into <laughs> the actual, like, running the game, that's the best part. Like, mm. the planning and the prepping and the scheduling and the talking to players and then posting online. And because I have to have a big social media presence, that gets stressful. That gets annoying. But mm. there are some aspects of that that I've been able to, oh, I can schedule these tweets or I can do this or I can, I can figure out mm. when I have a moment of my life to just watch a movie while I'm writing a bunch of stuff that's that there's ways for me to relax with that mm-hmm. but the actual running the games it hasn't become annoying yet there's a few <laughs> times you know someone is like oh can we do this module and I'm like I'm not as big a fan of that module but I'll run it and I just mm-hmm. can't let myself just go on autopilot I'm here to provide mm-hmm. a good time mm-hmm. but uh, the most stressful times I've had running the game usually have very little to do with the game itself Mm. <laughs> yeah, I can I can only imagine for me when I schedule my home games, the the scheduling part is a nightmare sometimes. Yeah. I can't really begin to understand how much of a pain in the ass it can be when you have to schedule 15 games a week it is funny because scheduling is the hardest part there's no there's no dispute in that whatsoever Mm -hmm. but it's kind of easier for me because i will go and advertise like okay fridays 10 a.m this is the time slot who wants to play and then i find players who are like i can do that every week and so it's once you get to a certain point you can kind of just have an open time slot and let people do the work for you when i was first starting out i had to kind of take what i could get mm. so i'd say like who wants to play on friday afternoons and just hope that people would would want to do it um whereas now i can be like okay i have this time slot open and usually i'll have people message me like oh my god i i want to play like um, i'll play whatever and i'm like okay and we find something that works um since they're paying people are a lot better about showing up every week and making sure that they're because Mm. they're essentially you know they're paying to be there it's not perfect you know there's there are weeks and there are times where scheduling becomes hard because you know we have a smaller game like this game has only three or four people so if like one person's gone it it makes a big difference and people might be like oh can we do a one shot this week instead or can we do this or that and i'm like yeah and we'll figure something out or Mm. if someone has an emergency or someone's sick but yeah it's usually pretty good once Mm. people have found the time slot that works for them 
them, then uh, they commit to it because they're paying to commit to it. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about, let's call them mechanisms of being a pro GM. How does this paying work? How, how do you find players? Um, what places do I have to visit for that? So I, I can say, and I know other GMs have had luck with different things. For me, I went on uh, on Roll20 because mm -hmm. uh, that was the tabletop I use. And I, you know, they have like the forms and you can post your games and, and say, okay, uh, it'll cost this much. This is the time I want to do it. And people can message you and like apply to play. I like that. Um, the onus is on me to figure it out and get it all set up. And it's not too hard there's plenty of people on roll 20 so like i can find something usually pretty fast but i know there's things like start playing and mm -hmm. there's other services where people can advertise themselves i warn people out there like if you try to advertise yourself on like instagram or twitter or something mm -hmm. like that you're gonna have a bad time people are going to social media to to just have fun and do whatever if i want to find a game i know there's a bunch of services out there i can look for a game mm -hmm. you know if i'm in a discord server that has postings great if i'm on roll 20 if i'm on if i go on to start playing to look great if i just see you posting on twitter every you know eight hours be like i i have games i'm like Ugh, and i just don't want to follow you so i warn like people looking to get into the game like don't do that <laughs> there's mm -hmm. actual places that have built mm -hmm. in services for you to post uh, your listings as far as the actual like payment i have people who pay me per session i have people who pay me per month the best luck i've had is honestly like patreon you know people pay me monthly mm -hmm. you're essentially paying for four sessions in a month i i know i personally do a discount if you're doing like multiple games a week you know so pay a little less essentially per session but you get to have two sessions each week i have i have several players who are in two a week i have several who are three a week i actually have two players who are in four games a week so it is a bit of um you know just finding what's the best payment method for everyone um money is always going to make it a little more difficult but it's once you get into a pretty serious like kind of campaign and, and you have like players you can trust and, and work with it uh it all tends to work out. Okay. Um. So I want to go back to this: that people are surprised that 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 you can run so many games a week, that 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 you can fill your life with so much D and D and TTRPG. Because right, I am also surprised <laughs> because <laughs> I run maybe when I when it, on a good week three to four sessions a week and play in like two, but that's the maximum I can take. But what people sometimes probably forget in that instance is that they also have a job that they attend to that takes up eight hours a day, um, that they have other obligations that they do. And those obviously fall away. And if you have eight hours a day extra to play, you can see how that how that becomes now how, how you are able to run so many games or how you are able to dedicate so much time to this because it is a job. It is how many hours however a day that you invest into this so you can live <laughs> like <laughs> obviously yeah once mm. i made the realization like okay this is my yeah. full-time job that makes it very different if i if i go in and i'm like oh i just got off a, an eight-hour shift now i gotta go run a game I'm like, oh man it's like no i i wake up you know mm -hmm. i i'm like okay uh let me roll out of bed and go play some D, &D. it's mm. it that makes that makes mm. a lot of the stress of running the game go away um i know when i was just running my weekly games just for fun with friends like i'd have some weeks where like i said i would have a particularly rough day at work and i would get home and be like i, I don't want to i don't want to talk about dragons right now can we all just hang out and you know or mm. even i'd be like i i don't feel like it today but now i'm like no this is this is all i do so it's it's mm. it's a lot easier than i think some people expect. i will say i tell people out there don't be a crazy person like me like don't <laughs> go and, and be like hooray i'm gonna run 15 games a week i know that my my brain works in a certain way that allows mm -hmm. me to run that many games uh but i always say your limit is is really mm. what you will allow yourself to take. If you run four games a week and you're like, yeah. I can't handle anymore, then okay, great. 
But if you are even crazier than me, and you're like, oh, no, I do 20 games yeah. a week. Great. Live your best life. But I've found that the 12 to 15 mm. range is really where I prefer to be because that averages like two to three games a day. That still leaves me some time. I still have like a couple of days off a week. I really have like one solid day off and I have another day that like if I want to run a game, I can or I, I might just be like, no, nah, this is like a day I'm just going to stream or or mm-hmm. just do mm-hmm. one shots and stuff like that. Interesting. And especially, right, it's not like you you just jumped from one game a week to 15 games a week. You you said that you eased into it. You came gradually ex- ex- increased that range, right? Yeah. Sometimes when, when I, I don't know, see people reacting, for example, I told when I have my, my, my private TTRPG groups, one that I play in, we, those people are not that connected to the wider TTRPG world as, for example, I am with Twitter and, and, and me having to interact with 100 people a day or like 10 people have conversations with them every day like we are having right now. They didn't know that pro GMing necessarily was that much big of a thing. As I, when I told them, I, I know people that run 15 games a week because that's their job. They were like, how? Everyone has that first reaction because, right, they only mm-hmm. run two games a week because after that, it's over for them. They're stressed out. But you also didn't make the jump from one to 15 games because that's what they experienced in their head. That's what they think this is going to look like. They think, what if I now next week start running 15 games a week? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not going to work. Probably. But if you start with one <laughs> week and yeah. the next month you go to two or three and then go to five, seven, eight, and then you obviously you adjust your ways to accommodate that and then it works. That way you can also find your limit, right? You can also see, I can only run six games a week. Yeah. Okay, cool. But I know I can. So that's what I'm aiming at now. And maybe if, I, if I'm if i very comfortable with that, I can go to seven or try eight again. But you're not going to jump from one mm-hmm. to 15 games. That's just crazy. <laughs> like, I have things that make that number of games easier. Like I said, I mean, right now, I will say of those, I'm currently at 15 games. Um, and I ha- have time slots open for people if they want to be in more stuff. But the thing is, most of mine right now mm-hmm. are either a module or we finished a module and we're continuing with the same players. And I'm like homebrewing up some stuff. So yeah. I like to get players from level one to level 20. That's my <laughs> favorite thing in the world. And I've done it many, many times. But it does take work and so i tell people i'm like if you want to get into pro gming you better learn to love the modules because that's really where you're gonna lay if i started out okay let me run a bunch of games a week and i was like all right now i have to run three or four or five homebrew games out of nothing mm-hmm. i would be lost i wouldn't be able to do it but if i'm like hey i'm i'm doing Dragon Heist on Tuesdays, I'm doing Curse of Strahd on Wednesdays, I'm doing Rhyme of the Frost Maiden on yeah. Fridays. That's much easier to manage. And also, all of my games are online, so I can roll out of bed, like, mm-hmm. sit down in my chair, start, you know, running the game, as opposed to, like, oh, I had to go and set up little models or, like, some Chessex map to, like, put stuff... I don't have to do none of that. Here's the here's the maps, mm-hmm. here's the your tokens, let's do this. And that saves me a lot of time. You know, I have, like, the actual maps that come with the modules, and if I'm doing homebrew stuff or if i'm creating Mm -hmm. extra encounters because i always add to every module i have a folder of you know 1200 maps that i can like use and Mm -hmm. but again that that has taken two years for me to build up from that i I started where i'm like okay this is Mm -hmm. kind of the blank roll 20 screen and then i would like draw with a little thing until i started knowing what i was doing and you know i've gone more and more professional in my setup as often as i can like i started with the terrible microphone that came with my laptop to now i have an expensive mic that i shelled a bunch of money out for like i i went from like oh I, i only run these like four modules that i've done in the past to like I said I now I have to pick up a module the mm-hmm. day it comes out so I can be ready to run it instantly I have animated tokens for certain spell effects I have like you know like I said background music I have that like I will make custom encounters and monsters and homebrew all sorts of stuff my players want to play in the game like any of the homebrew that I've put out is instantly mm-hmm. available for them to use in the game you know I don't say like oh no you have to buy one of my books it's like no if you're in my game you get to use it so there, there's the benefits that you build up over time so it becomes easier and easier to run this many games i went like i said an extra game a week and then like i i was like oh i can do let me try on tuesdays i'll do like you know three o'clock and and six o'clock and then i was like oh that doesn't really work so i started shifting some stuff around and then i started picking up more and more i went from like i said the the home games i was doing to i would say probably about Mm. 10 games a week over the course of like three months 
maybe three to four months. And now, like I said, I've just been at that 12 to mm. 15 range for two years. Solid. All right. And I think uh, you mentioned going from level one to level 20 is your, one of your favorite things to do in a campaign. You said you have done it a lot of times. For Especially for me, if I finish a campaign, it feels it is a kind of magical moment to finish one. Is it still the same for you with running campaigns over and over again, you could say, and having that moment, but with different people every time? Is it still as magical as it once used to be or it it, um it gets emotional every time because you you know the the players i want them to succeed i'm Mm. so not an adversarial dm and i also if i'm a mean adversarial dm players are like why am i paying for this you know so like i i want everyone to have so i i get invested in the players and when they get to level 20 and they beat the big giant bad guy at the end i get excited for them and it's it's emotional like i tell my wife this and i I tell some of my other even some of my players this i'm like i think every time the party has gotten to level 20 um i've cried at the final session it's like i said it's happened many times um that i've gotten a party but even then like i have plenty of modules we'll finish and and we Mm -hmm. go level one to 12 or three to 15 or and they're like we've kind of done everything in this book or even like homebrew stuff they're like we got to a certain point where we feel like the story is pretty much wrapped up and i ask the party questions like as we go i ask the players how we're feeling but if we get to a point where the campaign's done every time Mm -hmm. i get emotional and it's that thing that several dms will talk about where it's like when you finish a session you're like emotionally wiped a little bit and there is an aspect of that for me i still have after each session i take a few minutes to myself Mm -hmm. to be like okay and i just kind of like think about the the game and then for me, I usually have, I have to like run and grab something to eat and like panic and be like, oh, duh, I have to prep and then like go to my next game within an hour mm-hmm. or two. Cause I'm like, so I'm running two or three games in a day. But when they get to level 20 and they finish, I get emotional every time. I, I just can't help myself. I think if I got to a point where I was like, okay, you defeated a Sarek, mm-hmm. woo, like I would stop running games because the joy and excitement and thrill of, TTRPGs Mm -hmm. is not lost on me when I do ever feel like I'm not Mm -hmm. loving this then I make a change in that campaign so that I can love it as much as the players do. I feel that because right one thing I've talked about for quite some time on on those podcasts everywhere is passion is so important in TTRPGs. Mm If you don't have passion for what you're doing, if you don't have passion for your campaign, your character, everyone's going to notice. It is felt in everything that happens in the session that you say that you do. And the same obviously also translates to pro GMing. There's no real difference. Just because you're getting paid, there's still obviously passion involved. And there needs to be passion involved because everyone feels that passion. And if they don't feel it, the experience is maybe not going to be worth it for them. And that's why I totally can see that you make sure that you also have bring passion to the table because if not why do it from the player's perspective and also your perspective right that goes for goes both ways why do it if it's not fun for us and i also like i put my own personal stakes mm-hmm. into the game i teach rpgs are the best safest like incredible space to like explore your own mm-hmm. <laughs> your own self while you're playing with your friends like i've learned more about Mm -hmm. myself in my years of pro gymming than i did with like years of speaking to like therapists Mm -hmm. like it's wild how much you can learn about yourself and when you make it personal and and make it um something that everyone can can be emotionally invested it makes it so much better i also like i'll do little stuff where i include the character alakazam like this might shock you out there listeners but my real name is not actually (laughs) alakazam it's like no i'm just some guy named brian i'm just here having my live my best life but i'll include the character so that it, the players then like them and and will have that i don't drop them mm. in every game um i don't want people to think i'm some weird narcissist but it's i mean i am a little bit but uh <laughs> but for like i'll have like oh you meet this this orc wizard and he's he has the you know the big conical hat with the mm-hmm. stars and moons on it and they get excited like yeah. that's fun um so when you know when the, he can help them on some quests and then they move on like i feel like i have gone to the their characters and handed them mm-hmm. something and it's let them like you know explore the worlds you know more easily and it makes it a big emotional impact for me because i'm playing too you know i might be being paid to run the game i'm here to also Mm -hmm. have a good time yeah you know so 
I need to have fun too. <laughs> yeah, I, I just feel like um, what I've seen from online discourse, um, also gonna be very honest from when I first heard about pro jamming, which was, I think, 2019, I also was a little bit skeptical of it, right? It's, it's a very new concept, it was a very new concept for me, but obviously it's a job. And when you deliver a good service, you're supposed to get paid fairly for it. And if people are willing to pay for it, that's a job. That's all you need to make it a job. You make it a profession. People that are good enough, like you, for example, have des deserved that money that they make with it. But obviously, I was a little bit skeptical. And I think a lot of people are a little bit skeptical, at least when they hear about it for the first time, because it is a little bit of a wild concept. I will not lie, but it's still an amazing concept. It is. And I will say, like, I've gotten hate mm -hmm. over it um like this this is wild to me i've i've gotten no less than five separate death threats and it's like it's like really because i just i talk about dragons mm -hmm. and shit all day like is that really that bad but i'll you know it's like i'll have people send me like hey and it's it's extremely yeah. rare like i said that's over the past two years but the thing is it's like if if i want a piece of art mm -hmm. in my home and i go to an artist and say can you make this for me i pay them to do it if I like like some music, then I pay for it so I can listen to it whenever mm -hmm. I want. Like if anytime someone creates something for you, if you go buy a book, if I go, to, it's like you got to pay for it. This is just the people who worked on it worked hard. They deserve to be paid. And if I want a good, consistent, well-run D and D game with someone who can adjudicate the rules well, someone who knows the system forward and backwards, someone who is going to be there every week to make sure that you know not just you're getting mm. through the module but you're you get like said all these like little bonuses and, and the the thing is you don't need any of that to have a, a fun time mm. like i don't think that and this is you know this is my business but it's like i don't think that necessarily you need a big virtual tabletop with crazy tokens you, you need imagination and people willing to play and that's really yeah. kind of it but the thing is there's a huge difference in a pro DM who mm. knows what they're doing and create can create this wild, incredible experience mm. for you. And your friend who like, I, I, I know the rules sort of, uh, let's figure it out. Like I see horror stories out there and I, I have players who come to me like, Oh yeah, my DM did this horrible thing and they did this and they made these wild rulings that mm. make no sense. And I'm like, why would you play in a game <laughs> like that? Like that's not mm. fun. There's times where it's like you play with your friends because they're your friends and you want to have fun with your friends. That doesn't mean they know how to run a game in a way that's fun and will be a successful campaign. Yeah. I'm not going to show up every week if I'm like, man, I got to sit down for three, four hours and they're going to like say a bunch of stupid nonsense and, you know, like make mm. dumb rulings. Then it becomes a matter of like, well, sorry fellas i'm busy this week because i'm doing then it's like it starts the game starts to fall apart whereas mm -hmm. if you're like i know that once a week i can sit down and be told an awesome story and participate in that story and do this and do that oh man what a good fun time throw a couple of bucks at somebody so i know i'm gonna have a a good time for mm -hmm. three hours a week hell yeah why not yeah this is a way for you to make a living off of something that once started as a hobby that and i feel yeah. like nearly every especially creative professions started out that way so i don't get why people are offended by people being pro gms i mean being an artist or mm -hmm. something definitely started this way way back in the beginning of time is the same thing. Someone wanted to create something mm -hmm. and some other person was willing to pay for it. The same thing is just happening here, but with a different medium. Yeah. And I mean, I know it's not the same, but I can always also see it when, when these people say, why would I get paid for this? this is my, these are my friends or I'm running for my friends. Why should I pay? Why should I, why should they pay or whatever? If you're at the table and your players say, hey, we're going to pay the pizza for you tonight. That's also kind of a form of payment for running the game. Yeah. You, it, if you, or like if you run the game for us like we'll buy the books for you if you can run the game or say like, oh well yeah we'll pay for a pizza every week or we'll do you're paying for the game you just don't realize it yeah and the other thing too is like if i'm playing with my friends and the you know the dm's like oh we're gonna do curse of strahd because i want to run it and everyone's like okay and we like figure it out and have fun if i'm like oh man i really i wanted to do storm king's thunder well if i'm paying guess what we're doing <laughs> you know like you really you get to ask more, demand more, and be like, I want to play mm -hmm. this thing. I have this idea for something I wanted to do, so I want to pay to make sure it gets done. And mm -hmm. that's that's what I provide. 
Yeah, you know. And we talked a lot about modules and how they help pro GMs obviously run that many games a week. So I'm going to ask you, which is your favorite module that you've ever run? It, it doesn't have to be D&D. &D. Okay. It can be anything. But what is your personal favorite? So I'm between a couple. My immediate thought, because I have to break it down a little bit. No problem. My immediate thought is Waterdeep Dragon Heist. I, mm -hmm. Like I said, I have run it eight times. I love it. I know it front to back. I've heard complaints about it, and there's things that I could nitpick and say like, oh, well, I wish they would have done. That's what my job is for, is to figure <laughs> out the little details and then and fill in the blanks. Mm -hmm. But I think as an introductory module, as a fun like urban campaign, as like I can make it be as wacky and ridiculous or as like dark and gritty and serious as I want, I cannot speak enough about how much I love uh, Dragonized. Mm -hmm. um, Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, fantastic module. It's that one is more of a mid-tier one in the in the sense of like of level of gameplay. So Dragon Ice is one through five. Rhyme is is like one through ten, really one through like twelve. But the other one I'd say if I'm talking high level gameplay, Dungeon of the Mad Mage is mm -hmm. unbelievable. And I will say I love I love so many, you know, Radiant Citadel and Kennedy Mysteries and like there's several modules. There's very few modules I don't like, Curse of Strahd. That's a controversial one. Okay. I've had <laughs> I've had other DMs who are like, what? I'm like, I okay, sorry, I don't like it. I love Strahd. Mm -hmm. That's my baby right there. I don't like the book Curse of Strahd. But Dungeon of the Mad Mage is first off the only one that goes all the way to 20, but also I love a big giant mega dungeon. So <laughs> I just can't get enough of that. But if I if I whenever I'm asked that question, my answer is always what are you dragon heist and and then probably rhyme and then probably dungeon of the mad mage in that order. Mm -hmm. But like they're they all kind of share the number one slot, but in that descending mm -hmm. order, if that makes sense. Yeah. I know it's a weird way to answer the question. No, no, it's completely fine, right? As with TTRPGs all the time, it depends. Yes. <laughs> as always. And while we while we talked about D D modules. Uh, right now. You said that you also run different games. You, you run Cyberpunk, yeah. Lancer, stuff like that. We all know D&D kind of has a monopoly on the TTRPG world. How much it is marketed, how, how much it actually dominates. How does that look in the pro-GM scene? Is it also as dominant? It's just as dominant. Every okay. every system is hurting for GMs. Like every, mm -hmm. every single system out there, there's a ton of players and not a, a lot of DMs. And I have people who have come to me and they're like, I want to play cyberpunk so bad. I can't find a DM. And I'm like, I will gladly run it for you. I just, you know, if we can figure out the schedule, let's do it. And I will say, I love cyberpunk. It's, mm -hmm. it is easily my number two system. And, and I would put it on the same level as D and D. The only difference is D and D just dominates the market so mm -hmm. much that it's, it's like, I have to play, I have to run more D and D games mm -hmm. because I just wouldn't be able to have enough players if I exclusively did cyberpunk. And so I tell pro pro GMs out there, I'm like, your own preferences are going to have to take a backseat to what mm -hmm. the market is going to offer. And that's just the truth of it, mm -hmm. you know, but I, I find times I'm like, no, no, I, I will do these time slots and I exclusively look for world of darkness games you know i i have a vampire the masquerade game i do every sunday i have a hunter the reckoning game i do every monday like i want to do those games they're different it's a nice little break for me uh from like from D D, or it's like oh no i i, I want to do cyberpunk these times but if I have two players interested in cyberpunk and seven interested in D&D, &D, that's what we're going to do. Mm -hmm. There's times where the system you want to play is not necessarily what you're going to play because you just mm. you got to make money. And at the end of the day, like I love so many different systems, but I also have a mortgage. So <laughs> that's that's going to dictate yeah. what I have to do. Yeah. OK, you just talked about your players wanting something and, and, and obviously them paying and, and basically kind of with their money dictating what happens. So walk me through this. You have a new posting somewhere um, and you have found players. Um, how does the build up look to, to the first session with these players that you have selected or that have applied? How does that process look really till you get to playing? So and it, it varies from from other pro GMs. Everyone kind of has like their way of doing it. it yeah. the, the job is new enough that there's not a standard way yet. Mm. But for me, and I, I find most other pro GMs, once I have, let's say, four players, I usually try to have a minimum of four. Sometimes I have three, sometimes I have five or six. Once I have like a certain minimum, um, I run all my games through Discord uh, for the voice and I do the actual like playing through the through Roll20, but I will create like a a private channel for them we can they can start discussing their ideas we'll schedule the session zero session zero is 
super vitally important. I know there's a bunch of weird old nerds out there who don't like safety tools and don't like session zeros and Fuck they're wrong. Up. They can be <laughs> wrong. Mm. It's a bad, stupid opinion to not like session zeros and to not like mm. safety tools. But when you're playing with strangers, especially over the internet, you need to have them. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I will say I have had, I mean, well over 100, probably closer to 200 than 100 different players across all of my games and the years I've been running. I've had to kick someone out for being a creep mm. twice. That's mm. it. Um, most players are pretty cool because we're here to have a good time. And mm. the few times where they're uncool, that gets weeded out in session zero. So it's like it's vital. So we schedule that. And then session zero, I sit down, and I explain what the what module we're playing. If we haven't decided, then we put it to a vote. I give them a list of options. We put it to a vote. Everyone gets to figure out what they're happy with. Everyone kind of gets some veto powers if they if they want. And then they start talking characters. And I find once I kind of nudge the players in that direction, they'll be like, oh, well, what if my wizard is from here? And like, you know them and like we grew up together. Or like, what if we did? And then they just take over and mm -hmm. it becomes very easy. And then we set up the first session, jump right into it. But since I do it on a weekly schedule, it's really easy to just be like, OK, it's Tuesday. We're going to play every Friday. So it's the upcoming mm -hmm. Friday session zero. Next Friday is the first session. And we go from there. Definitely, like I said, a nice little Discord channel where everyone can talk. They can like, you know, post their character sheets. Be like, oh, here's some art I found online. Or I already commissioned someone to make something. That's rare, but it does happen. People can really figure it out. And sometimes they'll chat like between sessions and be like, oh, hey, I really like mm -hmm. this. But what if your character, did, you know, or like, oh, my artificer is going to make you a cloak of whatever, you know, that kind of then becomes its own little space. And I kind of look at it. It's like it sounds a little silly, but it's like, it's like oh, look at my babies, like all getting <laughs> along. This is so nice. So it's once mm -hmm. I have a minimum, like so then I can just be like, OK, here's the schedule. Let's do it and go from there. <laughs> yeah. OK. Yeah. I think especially that you, that you mentioned uh, session zero because right i need them for every of my games since yeah. i've known that they existed i have never run a game or played in a game that didn't have them or in some way at least made sure that everyone at the table is okay and fine with everything that is happening because we're here to have fun <laughs> and especially yeah. if you're paying for that service that even in my opinion for me would uh, even uh, enhance that feeling of i want to really have a good time and that sets the baseline rules for having a good time everyone can get a along with each other everyone is on the same page now we can have fun together it makes a huge huge difference i've had so many times where even if it's players who we've gone through a, a campaign you know we've finished a module and they're mm -hmm. like okay we're all level 10 or something but we decided you know what this new module came out let's do that and we do that and i'm like okay well we're gonna do a session zero because we're gonna talk about what that campaign is gonna be we're getting, like even if i'm like all right we know the safety tool stuff like let's talk does anyone have anything new they want to add did anything come up in the previous campaign that you're like, oh, I didn't realize this was a weird thing for me. I had even like a fear that I learned about myself recently. It was like my father did a lot of woodworking coming up like when mm. I was growing up and I was like working on my book of spells and I was like, wow, I have like nine spells in here that involve like buzzsaw, like, you know, spinning blades. And I was like, I didn't realize what a real fear that was for me. <laughs> <laughs> then I was like, yeah, that is a weird thing. So like I, I had where I was I was gonna play in a in a, a stream and they're like, does anyone have anything that they want? And I was like, yeah, this is a weird one, but buzz saws apparently are a weird trigger for me. I didn't even know I had until like it, you know, a few months ago. And they're like, okay, cool, off the table. Mm -hmm. And so like little stuff. I you know, I had someone who had eye surgery during a campaign, and then they're like, We did a session zero for the next campaign. They're like, Can you not have anything involving anyone's eyes? Because mm -hmm. That freaked me right the hell out. But like, since I've had my surgery, yeah. I'm very sensitive about hearing about something close to anyone's eye. I'm like, okay. Mm. So I do the safety tools every time, even if it's the same players. It's vital. Everyone changes, right? Yeah. We just today did the safety tool for a different campaign. My things changed. My, my answers changed from the last time I did it. And that only was a few months ago. So it happens. And right again, to everyone out there, please use. And if you're really listening to this, after a lot of different episodes where we said, fuck you if you don't use safety tools. Hmm. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a 
silly, stupid, contrarian position. To yeah. be like, no, I want that. It's like, no, because I guarantee if you really believe that way, it's like, I guarantee I could think of some shit that would make you uncomfortable. Yeah. And you'd be like, well, I don't like this. It's like, yeah, well, too bad because you didn't want safety tools. And it's like it. everyone deserves to feel happy and safe and have a good time. And for me, especially if they're paying. Yeah. If I'm paying, I better have a good goddamn time because mm. so this is money. It, it just enhances the game in a way without it couldn't even be possible because everyone can feel safe and protected while having all the emotions going on that they want to have going on or the opportunity to have going on without having to worry about all the different shit that they might be anxious about or don't want in there in there or make them feel uncomfortable or whatever whatever because they can just relax and let loose and be the players they want to be play the way everyone at the table agrees to be played as and there's even stuff like it's like session zero is so crucial because it's like we got to know what the hell we're about to get into if yeah. i'm like if i just started a campaign like if we're like playing and that's like oh you know what i decided now this is a a gritty horror campaign people like Mm -hmm. i'm not here for that at all i'd never agreed to that it's like we they need to know what to expect yeah i don't have to give them spoilers but they need to know some of the things that might come up yeah and especially what i like to do is doing in-campaign checkups. We, we talked about this a lot in previous episodes, a lot, that during um, or after certain arcs or after certain specific points, we sit down and talk about or have basically another session zero, 0.2 or 0.1, whatever you want to call it, to have another checkup to see if everyone's still on the same page with the things that has been going on and stuff like that. Do you do the same thing or... I do. I when we finish not just like certain arcs, but also like, you know, I'll I have many times where like I said, I'll do Dragon Heist. They keep going with the same characters and then we'll do like Strong King Thunder or we'll do, you know, like something that's like a higher level module or like I said, they'll finish a module and then I homebrew the rest of the campaign till they get to level 15 or level 20 or whatever and so between like big major sections i'm like so what are you guys thinking like are you liking this are you not liking this and most of the time they're like oh yeah it's you know but i've had i had one recently where like we had done ghost of salt marsh and like oh i kind of thought this like big like army thing that we were like working together to take down this you know not trying to have spoilers but i kind of thought this big thing would be a big more climactic battle And I'm like, yeah, you're right. It is kind of anticlimactic in the book. Like, let me think about that. And, you know, it had already kind of passed, but I was like, well, let me see what we can do. And we kind of figured out some little encounters we could run. But it it has changed the way I would approach that book for other players now, because I've now had like a group say, and I had a second group who was like, I asked them, we had already done Salt March like a year ago. And they're like, like, yeah, that was kind of weird. And I was like, okay, so now in the future, I know for this big battle at the end to throw in a bunch of extra encounters that like raise the stakes because if one group says it it might be something but if multiple groups say it then you know it's it's 100 true so it's going to be a, a factor of how do i adjust based off of what the players want and how they're feeling over the campaign if someone's like you know we've done a lot of dungeon exploring for quite a can we do something else because even if it's not a safety thing it's more of like i'm getting sick of these dungeons i'm like okay let's take a step back and do some other stuff so i i check in probably every major story arc or at the very least like every couple months to, to see how everyone's feeling and i'm mm-hmm. uh, now that you mentioned it changing stuff based on or adjusting stuff based on the feedback that you get regarding that did you change the way or your jamming style um harshly since you started being a pro gm and if so what was your strong suit before what is it now and how does everything affect the change that is still going on maybe it has changed wildly and some of the biggest stuff i've learned is you don't need to role play out every single fucking thing that happens okay just if you know you go into town you can have them talk to the guards and do this and that but then like okay i need to buy some armor i'm like okay here's the prices what do you want and we they buy the stuff they need we move on and we can have fun but like little certain downtime stuff like that that could take sessions if i role play out every little fucking thing like i'm not doing that and it makes those moments go by a lot smoother because i'm here to have fun and fight dragons and do crazy things and go on heists 
like negotiating over the price of a shield shouldn't take shouldn't take 20 minutes it should be mm-hmm. like how much does this cost 50 gold cool i'll buy it you know if at most like oh can i get a discount i'm like make some general checks and then that will apply to prices and this is this is it i have a flux set where i have written out a, a little thing for myself and i've seen some tools online of like here's the prices and here's the variance of if they get a discount and this is what it is and they don't like it tough and so that that has has wildly changed but also like i've added so much more in homebrew and i've i've learned so many fun little tricks that have adapted how i run monsters how i run dungeons everything i do is different now from when i started and i've really gotten to a groove of like okay i like Mm -hmm. this but i learn new shit all the time our mutual friends like abyssal brews like I use like their campfire stuff for mm-hmm. some travel and I have other times where I do travel where I'm like, no, and I just run it completely differently. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it depends on the group. Your every yeah. table is different. And, you know, some people want the big, heavy, intense dungeon crawl. Some people want mm-hmm. cool, relaxed, almost no combat, just role play moments. Both of those are valid. So I have to be able to run any of them mm-hmm. whenever the players want. So my style changes, uh, but I still try to have I prefer combat that is more um, intriguing than it is challenging. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd rather have monsters with cool effects or things that combat is more of a puzzle to be solved than it is like just bags of hit points hitting each other. Um, I like, you know, cool puzzles. I like ex- exploration. I like getting into like big high stakes stories where people learn of the giant web of of lies and deceit that the villains have done i find the things i like and then i find stuff i'm like you know i've been doing this for six months and it's not working fuck it and i just drop it and i switch to something Mm -hmm. else so i listen to other gms um i think the best advice i've ever gotten about writing which applies to how i dm is um you should read stuff you like so if you go out and you watch critical role or you watch dimension 20 or you watch you know if you listen to reckless attack if so if you listen to stuff you're like oh, i really like this is great that'll help you and you can build your stuff but then you start to kind of rip off just the stuff you like mm-hmm. you should also read and pay attention to stuff you don't like so you can be like why don't i like this and then mm-hmm. do it better if i see uh-huh. a dm who makes a stupid ass decision they're like i decided i was gonna i'm like that sucks how dare you and so <laughs> i i change my style so that i don't do that i'm like ugh, and it makes me run the game differently so i know my players don't have that like ugh feeling when mm-hmm. they're in my games you kind of answered my Final question for you, which we have for our guests uh, as of late, which is the most out there GM advice they can give. Th- things that you not normal do not normally hear, right? For example, uh, Shelly Mazanovo from Dragon Talk said, "Have enough snacks." Yeah. Like obviously, everyone knows have snacks, but just these weird out of the pocket advice that don't normally get told. If you have anything else, can but you kind of answered it with the also enjoy uh, also consume content you don't enjoy and learn from that so the only other one i have is don't plan too far ahead and i know a lot of gms Mm. say that but i'm begging gms out there don't (laughs) plan too far ahead like you can plan the the machinations of what the villains might do that's Mm -hmm. fine if you're like okay the party will go to this dungeon and then they'll go here no they won't they will go in opposite of the direction you want them to go you can't make any assumptions of what the party is going to do ever there are times where you can try and force them you know Mm -hmm. i had something where i was like oh then there's like this big rock slide and they like fall down this thing and then they're in this big dungeon and they're like Someone's like, I'll do Featherfall. Oh, no, I'll throw a grapple out. And I'll do- they did anything to avoid. And I'm like, guys, look, the dungeon is at the bottom of this. Can we all just fall down, please? And they're mm-hmm. like, oh, okay. <laughs> so you can't make assumptions. Like, yeah. you have to plan encounters. But if I plan, like, a big monster encounter, wherever the party goes, guess where that monster is going to show up? Don't plan around what you think the party will do. Make plans, and then whatever the party does, enact those plans. That is that is the best lesson i've learned it's like it's like oh no they didn't go to the little mining town i wanted them to go to okay well wherever town they end up in guess what now there's a mine at that town and there's it's like oh yeah oh no all that stuff so if i like i said i can't anticipate what the party's gonna do that way they don't feel railroaded they can make whatever decisions they want but i still get to have those encounters Mm. that i have planned for and have them happen i've had where it was a big giant seafaring adventure and i was like oh they're gonna have this this huge like dragon turtle will do this and, and i was like yeah and i planned it out and then they're like someone's like oh i have a feature i can just go here and i'll like mm-hmm. then i'll use teleportation circle to do that and i was like mm-hmm. okay so i just discarded that whole thing and then like 
four months later in a different campaign, they're like, oh, we have to go on this big seafaring journey. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> well, because I, I already had it written and ready to go. Nice. That yeah. That is the best advice I, I can give. That's a little counterintuitive mm-hmm. is like, do not plan too much. Like have some ideas of what you want to do, but don't assume you'll know what the party is going to do. And I think with that, we've reached the end of our episode. So the first thing to do is thank you for being here. Th- thank you for, for talking to us. Thank you to enlighten us and, and, and ex- explaining a bit and, and answering our questions. Where can people find you and all the shout outs you want to do? Now is the time. Well, firstly, let me say thank you guys, because when I made my Twitter, what, two years ago, like, because we're in the, like, within the first, I want to say, like, 25 or 50 people who mm-hmm. followed me, um, somewhere around mm-hmm. there, it's like, however long ago I made my Twitter, I remember you guys, and I was like, oh my god, and I was like, would listen, and I'm like, such a huge fan, so like, being on this has been a big deal for me, and I'm very mm-hmm. excited, so I just wanted, I want to throw that in there and say <laughs> how much I appreciate and how excited thank I was you. for this. So yes, I am. Zam, I Kofi, Twitter, Twitch, um, Instagram. Um, I have a Tumblr that I don't do a lot with, but it, it does exist. But it's Alec underscore Zam or Alec Zam. It's pretty easy to find. Right now, my biggest projects on my Kofi, I have a book of 100 subclasses for 5e, another book of 100 homebrew spells for 5e, and a book of 100 uh, ancestries, lineages, player races, whatever you want to call it, um, for 5e. And I'm currently working on and before the end of the year we'll release a book of 100 magic items for 5b so if you like dnd 5b you're like what if there were 400 more motherfucking options for this <laughs> then, <laughs> then check out my kofi because it'll it'll be there and i also you know i've i've had plenty of other things i'm writing i'm working on with some pretty cool people actually um some homebrew modules that will uh, come out next year and some other projects you know um, if you like homebrew um, and you want stuff from someone who has run at this point, I think I'm somewhere around 6,000 hours of, of sessions uh, in the past couple of years. Um, I have all of that. But the biggest shout out I want to make, well, firstly, I have Redemption VA, who is absolutely fantastic creator. I was on their Cyberpunk Red show, and I love all of their stuff. I want to shout out The Last Omnitect, who is making his own system called Legacy. He's been working on for many, many years and is a brilliant, brilliant creator. I want to shout out um, Game Goddess Alex on Twitter, who's uh, Ali from Dice Drop, who is absolutely fantastic. They made my amazing new branding suite, my like logos and stuff, and they're just a hilarious person but i would be remiss if i did not shout out the most important person in my entire life who is i mean beyond just being the most important person in my life like they do so much to help me they're incredible amazing woman but my lovely wife uh ina coffin on twitter ina underscore k-o-f-f-e-n she is an an artist who does incredible illustrations but she's also a hilarious person and i will say like that's one piece of advice I'd love to give pro GMs in the space out there is like have an awesome partner with you who will like support you. And when you're like, you're like, oh, I can't fucking do it anymore. Like that they like, no, it'll be like who can support like, but unfortunately I can't be like, oh, just go find a partner. But I can't speak enough about how much I appreciate all the stuff that my wife does and how much she's like made art for me and like done incredible stuff and having friends whether it's your romantic partner or just like like friends or family or some people you can rely on when you you are like oh god i'm running 15 games my brain is like on fire right now having people you can rely on or people i can go and be like i gotta tell somebody about this twist in the campaign that i can't tell the players like (laughs) that that makes a big difference too so so Mm -hmm. infinite shout out uh, to my lovely wife ina coffin as per usual you can find us on twitter and instagram at wdm pod or you can visit our website at www.wdm.com we also have a ko-fi if you would like to check that out and please if you like the show leave us a rating on your favorite podcasting listening platform of your choice it really helps the show out, gets us out there. Tell everyone that you want to share this with. Tell your cat, tell your grandma, tell your wife, tell whoever you want to do. And yeah, with that, thank you all for listening. Thank you, Alec, for being here. Hear you on the next one and bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye.